and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother of Matthew, and Matthew is here as well. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about the most recent episode. It was titled Exploring Tesla Solar Panels Game-Changing Price, and it dropped on August 11th, 2020. And there are two main topics that I wanted to talk about, the first of which is the video itself. This video, as of the time of this recording, has over 370,000 views. It's been up for less than a week. Yes. <laughs> and I know that in the first few days of it being live, you and I talk regularly, multiple times a week. And yeah. very early on after this was released, you sent me a text which was, I don't know what's happening here. This video already has 150,000 views. So... Yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah, want to talk think, a little bit about that experience? I have two questions to start off with. Do you have any idea what it is about this that might have initially given it the push? I I, I honestly don't. Here, here's what's from a YouTube creator's perspective. I have my roadmap all planned out and I had, I was not planning on releasing this when, when I released it and I had to shift things around to make room because one of my scripts needed more time. So I kind of a last minute thing. I sat down and was like, you know what? I'm going to dive into this Q2 call and put something together. And so this was, I don't want to say it was thrown together, but it was a last minute video I put together. So it didn't have as much time put into it as some of my other videos do. So you're and telling so I, me that this was literally a case of the show's <laughs> about to start. The star gets a case of the flu and the director yells at the understudy, you got to go out there and you got to do it. And then... <laughs> She goes yeah. out and becomes an overnight success. Basically. Um, not that, not that bad, but it, it, it was one of those, I put this out there thinking it would get a little bit of a traction with a, a certain audience and it would probably do okay. And when it went out and was doing better than my last 10 videos <laughs> in the mm -hmm. first day, two days, three days, um, getting three times the amount of traffic my videos normally get, uh, it was, I haven't seen this since my Tesla Cybertruck videos at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, this is kind of dwarfing those a little bit. Um, so it, it really caught me completely off guard because I did not think a solar panel video <laughs> would do this. The last one I did, which was the um, exploring solar panel efficiency video, did very, very well. And mm -hmm. that one to me was a huge success. And this just dwarfed that. And so it really caught me off guard that there were so many people interested in, I think it was probably a culmination of people who are really interested in solar panels, renewable energy, combined with people who like really like Tesla. I think those two, <laughs> the Venn diagram overlap between those two probably just hit a sweet spot I was not expecting. Yeah. Do you think Tesla is one of the major draws for your channel, that your videos with Tesla involved? If you mention Tesla, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get a little bit of traction. It's not going to be a runaway success guaranteed, but it's going to get traction because of Tesla. Um, but I did not expect this. Right. <laughs> Even in the slightest. <laughs> and my second question about this subject, about the video, is how does it feel to see that happening? And does it make you say, well, clearly I need to have solar panels part two drop next week? If you had asked me that a year ago, I would have been, oh my God, I have to do another video that's immediate follow-up to this and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Uh, the slightly more seasoned version of me now is like, no, 
this this video needs room to breathe on its own. It needs its own space. Um, let it do its thing. And I'm going to kind of stay the course, not dramatically like overturn the apple cart because when I've done that in the past, it doesn't work yeah. um, it, to chase it. It's like, this is like kind of a one-off thing. Let it ride. Enjoy that video for what it's doing, but don't try to chase it. It's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle. You yeah. might be successful yeah. once and it's not necessarily because of your effort. Yes, and, exactly. And the second moment that you try to do it, it's, you're putting effort in the wrong direction. It's but the, to, to add to that though, to the poltergeist teenage daughter coming out of the car going, what is happening <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to add to that was, um, Tesla reached out to me and said, Hey, we really like your video <laughs> mm-hmm. and then said, we want to retweet it, but could you remove all the tags from a tweet and we'll retweet that. And I was like, absolutely. So that was something <laughs> that has never happened to me before. And that was kind of a, another one of those what is happening moments. And uh, having a, a Twitter account that's got, what, almost 4 million subscribers to it, followers. Right. Retweet my thing, put put my Twitter account in front of way more people than it's ever been put in front of. So I was my Twitter was exploding for a couple of days after that happened. So that right. was another, that was something I've never experienced before. So that was interesting. We've talked about it in the sense of production. How do you put the videos together? We haven't really talked about the experience of sharing work in this format. Knowing you, you put a lot of research in, I'm sure, before you even posted your first video about mm-hmm. how to do this well. How deep into posting videos did you realize Oh, I still don't know enough. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, I am still learning something every week about the weirdness and intricacies of YouTube and how to try to reach a new audience and yeah. how, it, it, all that stuff. There's just, it's so, it's like a labyrinth. It's like mm-hmm. anybody that claims they know what they're talking about is, is full of crap. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's just, there's just too much. Do you think that it's complicated in a very different way on YouTube because it's not people behind the scenes, but an algorithm that is helping shape all of that? And that it's that system that is kind of (laughs) devoid of humans is redirecting in ways that even the people designing it don't really fully realize until maybe a few weeks and then they adjust it again. And because with like, TV audience and stuff like that. You had people making decisions. You had people that you could go in like, oh, I have to go convince Carol that this is a good idea. And if Carol happens to be drunk when you're talking to her, it's going to affect (laughs) the moment. But like Carol is a person and you might be able to know how to read Carol and deal with Carol and convince Carol and get other people to talk to Carol. This is an algorithm. And I hear all the time, I watch a lot of YouTube. I hear from the channels that I watch more and more and more the algorithms can bite me. So I need you to do certain things. I need you to like this video. I need you to follow me. I need you to hit that bell. If you don't do these things, it's as if I don't exist. That is very, that is true. And I can't remember the exact saying, but it's like the first 90% of effort is actually the easiest. It's that last 10%. Right. That refinement and where you're getting down to the nitty gritty is the hardest. Like 90% of the effort goes in the last 10% of the work. Um, that's true for everything. And that is absolutely true for what your first question to me about posting on YouTube, mm-hmm. because the first 90% is you have to know good storytelling. 
you have to know how to do basic communication. It's like you have to know how to basically use a camera and get good lighting and good audio. So there's there's kind of like just some of the basics, which are fairly easy to learn. But to get a, become a really good storyteller takes time and effort and craft. And then when it comes down to that in that last 10 percent for YouTube specifically, the algorithm and there's not one, there are multiple because there are separate algorithms for YouTube search. There's a separate algorithm for suggestions. There's a separate algorithm for your subscriptions and feeds and stuff like that. You're trying to satisfy all these different algorithms because the way YouTube describes it is you're not putting, we're not finding viewers for your videos. We're finding videos for viewers. Right. The algorithm is written and they're constructed purely from the point of view of what is going to capture, what video is going to capture this person's attention and keep them on the platform longer. If you want to get your videos viewed, you need to create videos people will want to watch. Right. So you have to have a good hook to get people in and get them watching at the very beginning and not click off. And then you have to retain them throughout the video, which means you have to have a good storytelling. If you want to think about a three-act structure, you have to think about it. How do you keep them strung along throughout the whole video till the very end? And then at the very end, how do you get them to one of your next videos? And you're saying, why don't you go watch this one I created? You are a writer. So it's like, it's like, it's storytelling mm -hmm. 101. Mm -hmm. And so the algorithm is actually structured for that. <laughs> so if, you, if you're basically doing the basics of storytelling and the basics of hooking people and keeping them interested throughout your video, you're going to get rewarded because the algorithm is looking at watch time. Like if somebody bailed the first 20 seconds of your video, it's not going to it's not going to suggest that video to more people because clearly there's people aren't interested in this video. But if people are watching 70%, 80% of your video, it's going to keep putting it in front of more and more people because clearly the people that are watching this are interested in it. So it's going to recommend it. So it's create videos people want to watch and the algorithm will suggest to you. The second subject I wanted to talk about around the video in the discussion in the comments that followed the video which revolved quite a bit it was a very interesting discussion around cost worldwide your costs described mm -hmm. in the video are us centric the discussion of costs worldwide i'll just read a couple of comments one from neil bolton who wrote hi matt you're even understating the aussie difference 12 months ago we installed 20 kilowatt for approximately US dollars, 11,800. I'll mm -hmm. send you the full quote as proof. And then later on in the comments, Paul White wrote, in case anybody is interested in an international comparison, my solar install installation a year ago in Thailand was solar panels, monocrystalline, 350 watt by 32 was 11,000.2 kilowatts total. Total installed cost was 16,000 US, $1.60 per watt, including storage. My electric bill is $1.30 a month, the cost for reading <laughs> the meter. I do not sell electric back to the grid. There are no incentives here. Yeah. So the numbers as you describe in the US context yeah. Sound fantastic in the U.S. context. Yes. And then you go outside the U.S. context and they look disturbingly high. <laughs> yeah. And and there is, of course, there's cost of living. There's mm -hmm. a different scale there. So a country like Thailand may have a much lower cost of living. So dollar for dollar isn't a direct comparison. But still, when you have 
Australians in your comments saying, wow, this looks like it's the one place that Australians don't pay through the nose. Do you have an understanding? Do you have any idea what's going on? It's very complex. The more I've, I've dug into this a lot, it, it like you pointed out, different countries have different costs of living. And the United States has a very high cost of living compared to other countries. So it's not too shocking that it's more expensive here just from that. But when you look at places like Australia, which has some insanely, insanely cheap uh, solar, they're also way ahead of a lot of the world when it comes to installing solar in people's homes and the adoption rate. And part of that is because they had to. They have a really bad electrical system. They've had very spotty issues. And there's the reason that Tesla built the Hornsdale battery reserve there um, to help the government try to stabilize some of the grid. And they were very early on in adopting solar and people going like off grid and trying to be independent with their energy generation. So there's a lot of incentive, not financially, like from what people are getting, but like incentive, like a personal incentive of, I want to get solar because it'll give me constant power that's reliable that I can count on. And because of that, they're way ahead of the curve of a lot of countries in that kind of adoption. In our country, in the US, <laughs> solar has taken on a very political issue. And there's people that hate solar because it's, you know, a bunch of... Go back to Taxachusetts. Ex exactly. So it's like there's, it's been politicized in a way that it hasn't in some other countries, even though it has been, but it's like, it's at a level that's kind of frightening. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those politics involved. There's just cost of living involved. There's just naturally what people are incentivized to do because it's going to benefit them personally. Then there's governmental incentives in different areas of the world that are helping to keep the prices down. For the United States, we don't produce a lot of our own panels. We do manufacture them here. Tesla does manufacture their own panels here in the United States, but they also import them. Most countries are importing them from places like Korea, uh, Japan, and China. Mm -hmm. So there's import costs and all that stuff involved. So it's a very complicated issue. The other thing is in the United States, incentives was meant to spur the industry and get a lot of people interested in solar to try to get mass production going to help drive down prices, which has by and large worked. And the fact that Tesla is now hitting these rock bottom low prices for the U.S., is a sign of that. It's a sign that those incentives that have been here for the past 10, 15, 20 years are working and we're getting close to the point now where incentives may not be needed in 10 years because the prices are getting low enough on their own that you don't need to incentivize financially to right. make it happen. So it's, it's exciting to see. So for the United States, this is a milestone, but we've been lagging behind other areas of the world, solar adoption. So really quickly before we head to our what we're watching segment, which we usually end the podcast with, I wanted to bring up two other quick notes about video production and YouTube production itself. The first is embedded in the comments again. It starts with a comment from Toxic Gamer 3000 who wrote, man, this ad cut you off so bad it had me dying at five minutes 43. <laughs> Matt Farrell, like Elon Musk put it, cut to Manscaped, your balls will thank you. <laughs> and that's followed up by Subadal Khan, who wrote, at least your ad wasn't for the Jawser size thing. I don't know if you've seen that one, Matthew. No, I haven't seen that. It's an exercise device, which is basically, it looks like a rubber ball that you put in your mouth and you chew on it. And it's to exercise the jaw muscles at the sides of your face. 
Oh my god. It looks makes you look like you are a dog playing with a Kong toy. The other thing that you can do to for that is to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Subadal Khan in his comments said, hadn't you dumb guys heard of chewing gum? <laughs> and then oh, IB969 wrote, mine was, or like Elon put it, why did we put five flavors into our Reese's Take Five? <laughs> you know what's great about that? We were talking about the algorithm. On previous videos, on a lot of my videos, I don't allow mid-roll ads yeah. like that. And then in some of them, I put them in there. And sometimes in the past, I've cho I've been able to pick exactly where it happens. Mm -hmm. But YouTube has been pushing people, YouTubers, to not do that because they're like, let the algorithm decide where it goes. Because not everybody is going to see a mid-roll ad. Mm -hmm. And when we do put it in there, it's by the viewer. And it's at a point that we know is going to work best. So it, it's always fluid and moving around. So it's hysterical to me that that's where it decided to yeah. put it. It's actually where I saw that ad as well. Uh -huh. It was the exact same point. And uh -huh. mine was the Manscaped. And oh, I had the awesome. exact same response. I was sitting here, I was watching your video, and I was uh, also typing something at the same time. And I suddenly, like, literally mistyped a word. I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> the thing about the floating, interruptive ads that I, I really scratch my head, it, it seems like they've designed this argument to YouTube producers to say, you want to create things that are going to hook and keep your viewer. Mm -hmm. And we are going to be in the background breaking up the viewing experience sometimes as quickly as 90 seconds into the video because their interruptions seem to be largely geared on the total length of the video. And I watch a mm -hmm. lot of videos that are maybe just under or just over 10 minutes. So mm -hmm. they're clearly trying to break in with as many videos as possible. And if they want to get three ads in there, they have to do it at the 250 mark, the five minute mark, the 750 mark. If mm -hmm. the video is a little bit shorter than that, they're suddenly jumping in at 90 seconds. I've had advertising break in where you start the video, it shows you an ad, you leave that ad, host starts their hook, and in the middle of the hook, they're interrupted again. And that's a problem. Yeah. That's, you know, that's not good. That's not good uh, advertising design. Yeah, I, I may actually take, if I do mid-rolls, I may take over again and... <laughs> require that they Be follow your schedule well it's like you can say at five minutes 45 seconds put an ad so as right. a creator i can i can actually tell them exactly if you're gonna put one put it here and so i may start doing that again and then my final point response to comments about youtube producers themselves came from kishore rajapal who wrote why so many bald guys are having renewable energy channels <laughs> I love the fact he says that because I've actually had the same thought. <laughs> there's a lot of us out there. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, there's another channel that I, I watch on occasion, and I love his channel. His, his channel is called Just Have a Think, and I highly recommend checking out his videos. They're really, really good. And it's just funny, like, he and I look like we're cut from the same cloth. <laughs> Two middle-aged white guys with no hair. <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> the responses to Kishore's question were very amusing, which included lack of hair gives you a place to put the solar panels. 
and more efficient vitamin D production. So as usual, some great conversations going on in the comments of the video itself. And in this case, some of it was about the video and about the videos themselves. And as usual, we usually end off with a quick discussion of things that we are watching. And I will, as usual, start off. This is something I believe I've mentioned on the podcast before, but I just wanted to give it another tip of the hat. It is the TV show Doom Patrol, which is from DC. So it is available through the DC app. It is also available on HBO Max. And my girlfriend and I just finished the first season and I can't wait to get into the second season. It is a incredibly, surprisingly smart, funny, surreal, subversive comic book show that if you're familiar with shows like Arrow or The Flash or Supergirl, the whole DC television universe, this show is on its own path. And one of the things I loved most about it was that it has at times the same flavor as the Watchmen show hmm. on HBO. Yeah. What it's doing is it has a, within the universe of the show, the past is the 1950s and the past is the silver age of comics. So the heroes, the look, the tone is very similar to what the Watchmen presents as its past. That whole, <laughs> the leotards with the cape, the chiseled jaw, the, the beautiful smile, that sort of, it's morning in America and we're doing fine. That sort of presentation of superheroes in juxtaposition to the contemporary setting, which is these people are screwed up. Mm -hmm. where Watchmen has them screwed up in dark and dangerous and bloody ways. This show has them screwed up in strange and we are lucky we are able to function sort of ways with a lot mm -hmm. of humor. And Brandon Fraser plays um, Cliff Steele, who's Robot Man. He is invisible in the show most of the time because he's wearing a entire robot suit. So his face is only visible in flashbacks. Brandon Fraser is one of those actors who when you see him and you like him, you think, damn it, he really should have had a bigger career than he did because he's a good enough actor that despite the fact you can't see his face, he mm -hmm. emotes so well through just his voice. He's doing such good voice work, basically. It's remarkable. And the only facial expressions he gets are his robot eyes are red LED lights and they occasionally mm -hmm. blink. And that's of course beyond his control. So it is astounding to see a completely immobile face with these red eyes that occasionally blink and hear Brandon Fraser's voice and feel like you're really getting a sense of a character who's going through some stuff. So hats off to him. And the other aspect of it that I was surprised by how much I liked was the inclusion of the character Cyborg who I was a big comic book fan and Cyborg was always one of the also ran characters and this incarnation of him, they've really managed to make him a complex uh, and dynamic character who's dealing with a lot of personal questions about his own past because he's beginning to wonder, am I more machine than man? And it's dealing with that aspect of his character. And then the other big takeaway from it is Alan Tudyk who plays the villain in the first season is 
brilliant because he's also the narrator of the show. I love him so much. And <laughs> his portrayal of Mr. Nobody is uh -huh. absolutely, it's, it's genuinely one of the best comic book villain portrayals I have seen. I would put it up there with Mark Hamill's version of the Joker. He is funny and dark and constantly talking directly to the audience, including at moments in his narration of saying, oh my God, isn't this over yet? And this, the show goes on to another scene. Well, my recommendation, I actually just watched it yesterday, is the new Netflix movie Project Power that just came out, which stars Jamie Foxx and jo Joseph uh, Gordon-Levitt. Uh, <laughs> I'm... You can probably tell any people who are listening to this that Sean and I both love movies and TV. And I love going seeing, you know, summer blockbusters in the theater over the summer. And of course, we're not doing that. And here comes this movie, which is the closest streaming only movie that I have seen that comes close to replicating that. Oh, this is what I was missing over the summer. <laughs> Some kind of like fun sci-fi action superhero-y popcorn movie that just is oh, it's fun um i would not call this a great movie uh, the 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 hook which is basically um there's a drug that's called power that's this little capsule that when you twist it and you swallow it what it does is it gives you superpowers for five minutes and what your superpower is is dependent on you your genetics so you don't know what your superpower is until you take the pill and the pill could kill you. You don't know. It's like Russian roulette. You could take it and you could explode <laughs> so, or you could become invincible or invisible or burst into flames or fill in the blank. It's like, you don't know what it's going to do until you try it for the first time. And, uh, it takes place in New Orleans and it's, kind of there's elements of the plot that are very paint by numbers that you've seen in other movies and TV shows, which are kind of B level kind of like mustache twirling evil villain, um, that aren't the greatest, but what's putting this movie above that is the actors. And you've got Jamie Foxx, who is one fine looking gentleman, and he's also an incredibly good actor. And he takes uh, what could have been a one-note kind of character and he elevates it like way higher than it should have been. And then you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing the same thing with his character. His character is a secondary supporting character that would have been very one-note with another actor, but he, he just like makes that character awesome. And then the other character, the other actress, um, her name is Dominique Fishback, and I've never seen her before. She is incredible. She's basically, she's actually kind of the lead of the movie. It's her and uh, Jamie Foxx that are really kind of the lead characters. And she is phenomenal playing a high school student that's trying to make things work in her life. Her mom's sick and she's trying to help her mom. And she is so good in this movie. So I, I got to tip my hat to whoever the casting director was in that film because they had a mediocre script a-list actors across the board that are elevating it beyond what it should have been. And then on top of that, for a movie that was like made for $80 million, they clearly were very judicious, I can't even say the word, judicious about where they put that money because all of the special effects sequences look phenomenal. Like 
like there's nothing there's no bad look in this movie at all it looks slick it looks highly polished the cinematography is top notch um and then the last bit i would want to point out about this movie is uh the directors are best friends with casey neistat who's another famous youtuber and he has a cameo in the movie <laughs> and i got i gotta say to casey job well done sir for a guy who's not an actor he actually did a pretty good job for the 30 seconds he's in the film um it's it, it was kind of funny to see him in the movie it was like wait this is wait what <laughs> what's happening right now um it's it's a lot of fun and the fact that if you have netflix wh- why not watch it it's not costing you anything except for an hour and 45 minutes and it's 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 a fun it's a fun ride so let us know what you think let us know what you think about the video or the films we've talked about if anybody out there is a youtube producer let us know your experience in wrestling with algorithms you can reach out to us on twitter at still tbd fm you can reach out to me directly at by sean farrell and you can reach out to matthew at matt farrell and at undecided mf please be sure to watch for the latest videos from undecided with matt farrell on youtube and don't forget to subscribe and ring that bell you can find the podcast at still tbd.fm and subscribe to the podcast as well You can find it on all major podcast providers like iTunes and Spotify. Please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew helps me. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.